This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit redfivenetwork.com. Hey, this is Taylor Gray, Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels, and you are listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Taylor Gray and Ezra Bridger say out. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. All right, so we are back. It's been about a month since the last episode. Sorry for the delay, but uh, life does intrude uh, in this COVID world we live in. And uh, fortunately, it wasn't any kind of illness or anything, just uh, just work and long hours. But uh, back to getting to do some of the things that I love, which is talking Star Wars. And to help me do that today, I have my good friend and uh, an old friend not long gone, Tom Howell. Tom, welcome back. It's good to know. Although I've been sort of long gone for a while, but I'm glad I'm not all the way long gone. Rob, it's great to be back in the Jedi Temple archives. It looks like you, you painted the place since I've been here. It's it's really spruced up quite a bit. Always great to be aboard the Jedi Temple archives podcast. Yeah, we were overdue for our once a millennium raising by the Sith. So uh, we, we took the opportunity to to freshen the place up a little bit, but yeah, uh, we, we have not been on much lately. I unfortunately was uh, not able to, to get on Hyperion Adventures podcast. You just had done an episode on like a virtual, uh, Star Wars celebration, given the fact that uh, Star Wars celebration out there in Anaheim that you guys were prepped and ready to go to, uh, did not happen this year. So glad that you were able to get, uh, an episode out on that with Pat and Charles from conversations, uh, very sad that I could not make it. And as I listen to that episode i'm even more sad because uh it's all about making making rob feel bad right <laughs> we weren't looking to make you feel no bad. no we just wanted you to have a part i don't have feelings show. you you had a sort of appearance on the <laughs> hyperion adventures podcast and our uh virtual star wars celebration celebration with pat and charles from the conversations podcast we had a great time uh we're planning on bringing you back aboard all all three of you back aboard very soon because we always just laugh it up every time we're together absolutely sure. absolutely and uh fortunately i had pat there who was willing to do his homework my homework he did tom's homework he, he was basically coming up with as many sales pitches as he could for uh the little uh, event you guys had trying to pitch a show to uh disney plus a new star wars themed show to disney plus so definitely if uh if you've not listened to that go over and check out hyperion adventures podcast definitely an episode with a lot of laughter and uh, kind of a, a crazy idea so you guys had a good time with that for sure and we came up with some great pitches for disney plus i think that they 
would be fools to not sign us immediately to get all these series on the air. I mean, they got to be looking for more content. People are still staying at home. I think we have some great series if, that we could line up for them. Yeah, it's, uh, the real question is, when are they going to start getting some of these series produced that they have on the books already? I know we just got the news today that uh, Mandalorian Season 2 is looking at coming out on, I believe, October 30th. So uh, people should set their calendars and start the countdown for that. I know there's uh, a lot of questions about what the Mandalorian Season 2 is going to turn out to be. A lot of rumors about uh, various guest appearances on there and with the reveal of the dark saber at the end of last season i think there's a lot of uh, anticipation to see where they go with that yeah so excited for the news um we knew it was coming we just didn't know exactly when still waiting for a trailer to finally drop on uh, mandalorian season two but just the news that it'll be on disney plus on october 30th couldn't be more excited about that there also was a little tidbit i saw out there that Apparently, they're using a lot of the sets that they used for The Mandalorian, and they're getting set to eventually, when they get clearance, to start filming Kenobi, which yeah. is even more exciting for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, I know Obi-Wan's a, a favorite of yours. I'm sure anyone who's listened to Jedi Temple Archives in the uh, in the past is aware of that. And certainly, they have a lot of flexibility with the, with the volume, that new kind of virtual set that they created for The Mandalorian with all that... Uh, all the giant screens that are basically a wraparound. It gives them the ability to essentially be anywhere they want to be uh, with just a little bit of set dressing on the stage there. So uh, I'm sure that that is going to give them the ability to produce that quickly compared to to what it would have been had they actually had to go on location uh, at the various places they want to shoot a show like Kenobi. Yeah, especially in the time period we're living in now where travel and everything else is, it, it can be a little bit more of a difficulty um, set up. And by the way, if you haven't seen Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, uh, and see the amazing work they're doing with the volume, it's incredible. Definitely go uh, look that up on Disney Plus because it'll blow your mind uh, with the work they're doing now and how it's going to basically change film and television as we know it. Absolutely. And it already has. So, uh, un, not unusual for, for Lucasfilm and, uh, and, uh, ILM to basically be at the forefront of a new technology. They've been in front of the curve, uh, forever, it seems like at this point, definitely since the 1970s, uh, they have been the ones kind of setting the trends in Hollywood for visual effects. So, uh, don't expect to see that change anytime soon, although it's getting harder and harder to imagine what that next barrier they're going to break is. Yeah, I still, I mean, it, it really, when I say blew my mind, it completely blew my mind. I was sitting there watching that episode just with my mouth agape at, I cannot believe that some of the things that we saw within uh, The Mandalorian Season 1, that they weren't actual, real, you know, locations that they were a part of uh, this volume that they were a part of these screens it's it's absolutely incredible yeah and i'm looking forward to seeing what other types of things that they can do with that i mean i i think we've seen in some of the shows like rogue one uh that they are able to recreate some of these characters that are that are dead and gone with uh, peter cushing kind of making his reappearance as grand moff tarkin uh through cgi and every time i see that stuff it gets more and more realistic so yeah, I know that there's kind of, a, you know, a couple of minds for a lot of people about bringing back characters in that way, but uh, it certainly is going to give them the possibility down the road, uh, hopefully not, you know, like uh, on a grand scale where they're bringing back, uh, you know, Harrison and Carrie and, and Mark Hamill post uh post their deaths and and having them redo entire shows but uh it would be nice to occasionally see a, a character that we're familiar with drop into a movie like they did with uh with grand moff tark in there in rogue one 
Exactly. I don't mind seeing them sprinkled in here and there for, or for smaller bit pieces, small roles, whatever the case may be. But I don't want to see like Solo and then they try and transpose uh, Harrison Ford's face on the character, younger version of Harrison Ford for the entire movie. That might be a little off-putting personally. Totally agree. Totally agree. So we're going to uh, jump into our main topic for the week. And this is a character that uh, I teased a little bit out on social media as I was doing the last episode on General Grievous. Uh, Kit Fisto is the character we're talking about this week. And he is a Jedi Master. He's a member of a species known as the Natolans. And uh, they are uh, basically an amphibian species, so they are both air and water breathers. So uh, Kit Fisto certainly is a is a pretty uh, standout character visually within the series. He shows up in both the films and in the animated series. He's green skinned. Uh, he's got head tendrils, so he kind of looks a little bit Rastafarian, uh, and uh, these big black eyes that that uh, definitely make him stand out. So if you're thinking of uh, Kit Fisto, he would probably be best known for from his scene uh, when they, uh, when Mace Windu and um, three of the other Jedi Masters, including Kit Fisto, go to arrest Chancellor Palpatine, I believe he was, and uh, and when they confront him, uh, they are all cut down, kind of in short order by. Darth Sidious, uh, who turns out to be the Sith Lord they were looking for. So uh, that would be a scene that Kit Fisto is in. He's also in that uh, arena scene on Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. So you can find him there as well. And if you are a fan of the animated series, we're going to kind of get into some of his his appearances and some information about him here shortly. But uh, one of the interesting things about Kit Fisto that that, uh, jumps out at me and another great tie into the films is he is from the planet uh, Gleon's Psalm, which is uh, a planet that anyone who has seen Solo, a Star Wars story is going to be familiar with as the planet that uh, Beckett wanted to retire to and learn to play the Valachord. Look, I have great instincts about these guys. And besides, do you see any other options? I just hope you know what you're doing. I know exactly what I'm doing and why. We're going to clear our debts. Go back to Gleon Psalm. And I'm finally going to learn how to play that valachord. Babe, you're never going to learn how to play the valachord. She's right. You are tone deaf. That is kind of a cool little tie-in to Solo, something that doesn't jump out at maybe the casual viewer. But anyone who is listening to this episode or has a, a deeper knowledge of Kit Fisto and kind of his backstory would have uh, would have had that jump out at them when they watched that film. And uh, it's always fun when they kind of throw in a little uh, Easter egg in there for the the more astute fan, I guess we will say, as opposed to the casual fan who would have just thought that was a planet name that was just thrown out there randomly. It's also fun just to, even if you, whether you know or don't know uh, a system's name or something that's thrown in there randomly within a film or a television show to maybe look it up. Like, what was that? Where, what is this planet? Because there is a lot of backstories on a lot of, uh, a lot of these things that they list. They, yes, sometimes they make them up out of the blue and then they kind of expand on it later. But a lot of these things you can find somewhere within uh, Star Wars or within the Jedi Temple archive. Yes, absolutely. Unless it's been erased by uh, some nefarious dark force, right? That's right. But, uh, you know, Kit Fisto uh, is cool on a number of levels. Certainly one of the things that jumps out about him is that he is an incredibly uh, good uh, warrior with his lightsaber. And that is shown both in that uh, scene in Attack of the Clones, where he is one of the few Jedi who survived that battle. Uh, I believe there were roughly 200 Jedi that got dropped into that arena 
and uh, Fisto was certainly one that that survived that. Uh, he held his own a little bit longer than uh, than the other two Jedi Masters who got cut down by Palpatine uh, in his chambers there in the Senate uh, building, or not in the Senate building, but uh, in in Chancellor Palpatine's office there in Coruscant. Um, but you know that was one of the things that really jumped out at me in Revenge of the Sith is how quickly he got cut down by Palpatine, and that is a a bit of a strange scene because when you look at the novelization for that, they talk about the fact that Palpatine was moving so quickly that all you could see were flashes of his red saber and that the the Jedi were just simply not prepared for someone to move that quickly. Uh, whereas in the film itself, he moves much more slowly. He does have that kind of corkscrewing spin he does through the air, but you're thinking to yourself, these are supposed to be Jedi masters right there. They shouldn't be cut down quite so easily. So there was a little bit of a dissonance um, in the film itself uh, compared to the novelization and uh, something lost in translation there. But, you know, I knew that Kit Fisto at that point was an excellent lightsaber duelist. And again, uh, it, it just didn't really translate to me to see how easily he was cut down by Palpatine. Right. I mean, part of the reason uh, Mace Windu brought him with us is, with them is because that he considered him to be one of the best duelists on the entire Jedi Council. And so he wanted that strength with him uh, in that battle. I always took it as, yes, I agree with you that it looks like, wow, you know, they, they took down these four Jedi pretty easily, or at least three of them. And nearly, you know, eventually took down the other one with a little help. Um, but I just kind of considered it. It was more of the uh, the Jedi being blinded to how strong uh, Palpatine slash Sidious actually was. And the fact that, look, you know, they're, they're always underestimating this guy. You know, they underestimated him as the chancellor. I mean, they didn't even believe that he could be this dark lord of the Sith. Uh, instead, you know, so when they went, eventually went up there, they're like, oh, yeah, this will be pretty easy. There's four of us here. We'll take him down. And obviously that wasn't the case. We saw how skilled he was in the art of using, you know, the dark side of the force. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I there was no way that the Jedi could have really been prepared for Palpatine. They hadn't faced a Sith Lord. There hadn't been one that they've known about in over a thousand years. So uh, they certainly were kind of facing an unknown quantity there. Uh, it would have just been... I get why they, they played that scene the way that they did, uh, because I think had they done the, the blur that it was described in the book, it wouldn't have translated that well on film. Uh, but certainly uh, it would have been nice if they could have done something to, uh, to show the speed and ferocity that Palpatine was exhibiting in that particular battle. But it is what it is. We, uh, we live with it. I think that's one of those scenes that jumps out at a lot of people and, uh, and possibly one of the, one of the things, again, at that point, no one really had that big an attachment to Kit Fisto. Uh, I think certainly Mace Windu would have, would have been the character in that particular scene that people had more of an attachment to. And, uh, and he certainly had a chance at defeating Palpatine, but, uh, that is a conversation for another time. So, uh, as we talked about, uh, Kit Fisto, uh, really comes into the picture there in that scene on Geonosis and survives that battle. And from there, it really kind of launches into the Clone Wars, which uh, I know we've talked about kind of ad nauseum on this show, but within the Clone Wars itself, we get to see much more of Kit Fisto. We get a lot more uh, information, really a lot more depth to his character as we do with so many. And it really shows him as being one of the few Jedi and eventually Jedi masters on the Jedi, the Jedi High Council that had a bit of a sense of humor. I mean, you typically would see Kit Fisto, even in 
dire battles. You saw it within the, the battle there on Geonosis in the arena. Uh, you see it at one point uh, in a scene that I talked about in that General Grievous episode where he uh, confronts uh, General Grievous in his lair. And even fighting this droid that has killed numerous Jedi at this point, he's still fighting him with a, a smug little smile on his face and nearly defeats him in that particular moment. Yeah, he was never afraid to really kind of express his emotions, you know, without having them overtake him uh, so much. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the scene that people might recognize him most for was that scene with Mace Windu inside uh, the Chancellor and inside of Palpatine's office. But I think you look back at uh, the attack of the clones, the scene that you remember him most for was when he force pushed uh, C-3PO's head on top of the battle droid's body and and pushed him over and then gives that little smile there, you know, kind of laughing at what he just did. You right. know, he knock, th knocks him into another super battle droid and then moves on. That's the moment that I was like, oh, that guy's funny. Kip Fisto, he's pretty, you know, he's just having a good old time out there just uh, doing his thing. Yeah. He also makes a, a brief little appearance in, in a scene that kind of ties into the Jedi Temple archives himself. As Joe Castanew is showing Ahsoka Tano around the, the Jedi Temple archives and uh, is pointing out the Holocron vault and Master Fisto is actually headed in there at that point. He's already become a member of the Jedi High Council and has access to that. Beyond this door lies the Holocron vault. The holocrons contain the most closely guarded secrets of the Jedi Order. Good morning, Master Fisto. Can we go inside? Oh, I'm afraid not, my dear. I haven't been inside myself for years. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. That was, uh, you know, kind of one of those scenes that uh, as, as a... An archivist here at the Jedi Temple Archives uh, sticks out for me. But getting back for a minute to that Lair of Grievous episode, um, it was really interesting as well because you get to see Kit Fisto and his former Padawan, uh, who was a, a Moncal named Nadar Veb, who he had already completed his Jedi trials. He had kind of gone off into the universe on his own and then been reunited with Kit Fisto. And Nadar Veb is one of these younger Jedi who was kind of having trouble, especially in this period of the Clone Wars, controlling his emotions and and uh, did not really believe that controlling them was the way to go. He seemed to think that, um, you know, unleashing his emotions uh, was the only way they were going to win the war. And he says something to that effect within that episode. But we get to see Kit Fisto, who, you know, after Nadarveb had been killed by by Grievous, he ends up keeping his cool, keeping his emotions in check. have been a proud warrior once, but now you're just a pawn in Dooku's game. I wield great power, Jedi fool! That power will only consume you. And uh, despite Grievous basically saying that, you know, he's incredibly powerful and he's killed many Jedi... Um, you know, Kid Fisto is basically telling him that that, you know, that that is going to lead nowhere for him. Uh, so Kit Fisto, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, you know, he was a kind of a, a Jedi who would show some emotion. He was prone to smiling and things like that. But he still had a check on his emotions with regard to not letting them uh, control him and, and kind of keeping his head in very dire situations. 
Well, it's the difference of, uh, you know, a, a Padawan being brought up before the time of the, uh, the Clone Wars as to uh, what we saw with uh, obviously his Padawan, but, you know, maybe even Ahsoka Tano a little bit too, of that it was a, just a different world being a Padawan within this world where the Jedi were doing something that really was not in their nature, you know, fighting a war. Uh, they were the keepers of the peace, but that was not what they were doing during this this period of time. And and so it really was it put these Padawans into a difficult juxtaposition, uh, you know, and maybe they didn't see things. They couldn't meditate. They couldn't react as calmly as their masters had as they were brought up to learn the ways of the force. Right. And we'd certainly see that with a number of other uh, young Jedi and Padawans throughout the the Clone Wars. So. Not something that was uh, limited to not Arvev himself. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we've talked on this show in the past about the holocron heist at the Jedi Temple with Cad Bane basically being hired uh, incognito by by Darth Sidious uh, to get in there and steal a very specific holocron from that vault. And uh, Kid Fisto was present for that operation as well, along with Mace Windu, uh, Isla Secura, uh, and Yoda. So he was one of the Jedi who had rushed to kind of secure the vault. Eventually, Cad Bane, as we talked about, was able to make off with that holocron regardless. But uh, Kit Fisto definitely started to show up in a lot of kind of key moments throughout the Clone Wars. Yeah, he was kind of that guy that would be around. I mean, he wouldn't have this big part, but you'd see him. Oh, there's Kit Fisto. And he's so recognizable every time you see him. You, you, there may be several Jedi that you're like, who's that? Anyway, Kit Fisto comes into the scene. You're like, oh, there he is again. Uh, yeah, obviously he had a key role uh, within the the order and was uh, made a, a part of a master, uh, you know, and part of the Jedi Council at some point. We don't know exactly. It's not really spelled out exactly when that happened. Uh, within this time period, but obviously they saw him as a key member of the Jedi Order, and he would just kind of tend to be around during these situations for sure. Yeah, and then really kind of the moment within the Clone Wars uh, animated series where Kit Fisto really, really kind of stood out was there was a series of episodes uh, having to do with a war that took place on the planet of Moncala. Uh, so there's two, two key species that live on the planet of Moncala. There's the Moncalamari who would be Admiral Akbar and the like, and then the Quarren who, um, if you're looking for an example of a Quarren, we've got one that gets, uh, cut in half by the door in that very first episode of the Mandalorian. Right. So, uh, right. with the, with the face tendrils and everything. So, right. um, that was actually a really interesting set of episodes because it really gave Kit Fisto a chance to, to highlight some of his aquatic skills um, he was able to swim, as we mentioned before, without the, without the use of any kind of a breathing aid, he was able to breathe water or air, uh, and he was an incredibly good swimmer. So, uh, when it comes to a, a war that generally is taking place underwater, he really was a standout for the Jedi and, uh, was kind of one of the deciding factors in that particular battle. Yeah, as opposed to like, you know, yes, they had to, they had uh, in that episode or that series, I should say, of episodes, they had Anakin Skywalker there and Ahsoka Tano, but they needed uh, some sort of breathing apparatus uh, to be able to uh, be able to fight down uh, under the underwater. But he just dove right in, took his shirt off, dove right in by the dude. By the way, the dude's cut. <laughs> dude's got quite a. Uh, quite a sculpted body there. Um, but anyway, he, you know, interesting thing about him is that not only does he have the ability to, yes, fight really well underwater, but he was the ability using the force to manipulate the water, almost like force push uh, water to, to, you know, help 
uh, in his attack process while he's down there. Really an interesting uh, fighting plan. It is no wonder why they tabbed him to be a part of this crew that was going down there when they realized that there's this civil war brewing on Mon Cal. Yeah, I know that uh, there were a couple of different scenarios where he actually used the force underwater in ways that we hadn't really seen. They uh, they had used it, to, he and Anakin Skywalker had used the force to kind of create an air bubble around Amidala's head at one point when her helmet was uh, damaged. And I know that he had also created some kind of like... Uh, aqua bubbles with the force that uh that he was able to hurl as weapons so um very interesting to see you know uh, battles being fought in different environments which is one of the things that star wars is so famous for right um they they love to mix up their environments and this is really the first chance we really get to see uh, enough complete underwater battle take place over the course of as we said numerous episodes it totally makes sense at some point. I mean, you've seen in between the Mon Calamari and the Quar, and, and you know, you've seen so many different uh, species, uh, you know, even the Gungans that, you know, live underwater. They're amphibians, so they, they can be on land, they can be underwater. Uh, it totally makes sense to finally see a battle take place underwater of some sort. It's really an interesting you know, I mean, you look at a battle in space and how many different dimensions these things, those things have to go in. The same thing with the water. Not only is it in front of you and behind you, but it's above you, it's below you. Uh, you really have to look at it attacking and defending in such a different way. Yeah. One of the other kind of key things that I want to bring up about Kit Fisto is uh, he was noted for actually being the Jedi defender of Palpatine for a period of time. He was actually assigned to be uh, protection for Emperor Palpatine or I'm sorry, Chancellor Palpatine. Uh, <laughs> he hadn't quite made his move to Emperor yet, but uh, yeah. So so he goes from, yeah, from protecting the Chancellor to actually being killed by him in fairly short order. Yeah, obviously, it uh, shows you there were not a lot of ties there for uh, Palpatine slash Sidious. You know, yeah, you protected me, whatever. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm after my main goal. But we saw that many times with many of his various apprentices between he didn't care about Maul, didn't care about Dooku. Go ahead and kill Dooku. Don't care about him. And Anakin, yes, you know, he knew he'd be the strongest. So he wanted to be sure he was there to be Darth Vader. But when it was all said and done, he was ready to throw him to the side for Luke Skywalker at one point because he was younger and probably pretty close to as strong as his father. So, you know, obviously he, he, he had a goal. He didn't care about those ties. Absolutely. Um, and then the one final uh, kind of reference that we see to Kit Fisto, again, this is from an animated series. This is in Star Wars Rebels, but in the uh, scene in Star Wars Rebels where uh, Kanan Jarrus is actually in the Jedi Temple Dojo uh, on a, in a vision to his, uh, on his second trip to the Temple on Lothal, um, Kit Fisto's lightsaber is actually one of the lightsabers that are hanging on the wall there. So uh, kind of a, a nice nod to Kit Fisto, even within Rebels, which is certainly long after he had, uh, he had perished. And, um, you know, strange that they'd bring his lightsaber back because I am certain that, uh, one of the things that the emperor had done, uh, kind of after the, the purge of the Jedi was to take all those Jedi lightsabers and basically throw them in this kiln and melt them down to slag. Um, but, uh, you know, for some reason, I don't know if, uh, Kane and Jarrus had some, some ties to, uh, Kit Fisto kind of from his days in the Jedi temple, but, uh, that was one of the lightsabers present in his vision. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I would really love to see, uh, I, I think Kit Fisto is an extremely interesting character and I would love to see, uh, more of his backstory. I think it could be something that could be developed really interestingly. Um, I, 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 
I find a lot of the Jedi that you get glimpses of, Plo Koon, uh, so many of them uh, out there that you've seen a little bit pieces of within the Clone Wars, even smaller pieces of within the actual film series. I think that they have uh, a really strong story that could be explored at some point. And interesting that, you know, we, we, you bring up Kit Fisto today and that one of our uh, Pat's actual pitch on our show when our you know, pseudo Disney or excuse me, pseudo Star Wars celebration panel pitching uh, possible series for Disney Plus involved uh, Plo Koon and, yes, Kit Fisto uh, scouring the galaxy looking for young Force-sensitive children to uh, bring into the Order. And I, I actually thought that, you know, we, we had some fun, uh, Charles and I did with ours. But actually, when, when Pat said his, I'm like, wow, that is actually <laughs> a series I really, really would love to, to watch because I, I find that very interesting and I, I, it's something that I, I believe really happened yeah well really happened theoretically <laughs> in our star wars imagination <laughs> it's uh it's absolutely fake history right <laughs> no but i mean i think you know the the interesting thing is they seem to be going away from anything that touches on any existing star wars with the exception of the animated series but i totally agree i think that there is a lot of uh, unexplored, uh, side characters that they could really go into more depth on. And, and I think a lot of fans would really enjoy that, especially people who were into things like the clone wars or star Wars rebels. Uh, you know, those are the kind of stories that are, uh, an easy fit into, into new series. Uh, so I don't think Pat's that far off with that idea. And, um, you know, certainly while I look forward to them exploring some new eras within the star Wars kind of pantheon of, of events, uh, it would be nice to kind of get some of these gaps filled in, uh, something that kind of would be a, a nice little warm fuzzy for all the fans and all the people that have kind of been following the series most of their adult life. Yeah. And the good thing about this is nowadays uh, we've seen so much more of an expansion of the various different ways Star Wars is told. Yes, we'd love to see an actual series, whether it be animated, whether it be live action, whatever the case uh, but there's also, you know, with so much of the comics being released, the books that are being written, there's there's so many other avenues out there that we, they could explore this. I would love to see someone uh, dive into this and, and bring it to us to be able to experience that in one way, shape or form. Yeah, they certainly, you know, yeah, books, comics, whatever the case may be. Um, I definitely think there are stories to be told. And I think there's a lot of things that uh, Star Wars fans would get a lot of enjoyment out of. So that's going to wrap it for our conversation about Kit Fisto. Again, not as uh, deep a character uh, as you would like, given how interesting he is, as Tom pointed out. Uh, I certainly think Plo Koon falls into that same category. Um, another visually stunning character that you just kind of want to know more about. And there's just not that much out there. Um, but we shall see, we'll, we'll see if they start uh, making decisions to kind of dive into some of these characters or if they're just going to really leave this stuff, uh, alone and go a new route with the stories that they're going to tell in the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, you know, it's the one great thing about the star Wars universe. And we've talked about this many times as well. I love the fact when they actually go away completely from the Jedi, like, you know, the Mandalorian, not that there isn't some obviously with with the child, with baby Yoda there, that there isn't a little bit of influence there, a little bit of the force going on there, but mostly it's kind of taken away from that. It's, it's the, all these other stories that are happening within this universe, because there are so many to be told. That being said, I do, I am entirely inspired by, you know, interested in 
like, you know, tales from the Jedi Order of you know, right. things, little missions they went into, you know, to go and bring in uh, young Padawans, younglings and, and such, young Force-sensitive children or whatever the case may be, or to help, uh, you know, avoid little skirmishes here and there. I, I would love to hear some of these stories. So I just, I'm just glad that, that this universe is so profound and that there's so much out there and so many stories to be told that we can delve into it for years to come and really never get tired of it. Yeah. And just so anyone knows, I mean, uh, it, it popped into my head as you were talking about baby Yoda, but there is a scene in men in black, uh, where Will Smith has this, uh, squid headed, like baby alien come out of the car and he catches it. That looks incredibly similar to Kit Fisto, at least from the neck up. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if that was like a little, a little kind of side, uh, sidelong look at star Wars and, and a little bit of an homage to them or, or if it was just kind of dumb luck, but man, I, I was looking at that scene earlier today and I was like, Oh, it, it totally looks like Kit Fisto's face. So, uh, I wonder if the ILM was involved in that. Maybe yeah. that's just trying some things out or just, you know, just like you said, a little nod. Yeah. Uh, or something they've worked on in the past that would never happen right <laughs> no it doesn't happen anywhere <laughs> never so yeah yeah tom thank you once again for uh joining me to talk a little bit about kit fisto and kind of filling the gaps on him and hopefully people get out there and take a look at some of those episodes especially in the clone wars uh and get to know a little bit about a little bit more about him as a character uh and hopefully we get together here again soon uh be it on the hyperion adventures podcast or back here on jta and uh and catch up a little bit more always happy to be a part of the show rob you yeah. know that i look forward to it. i'm glad that things have settled down for you a little bit so you can get back here i know that your fans your listeners are, are excited to get more uh jedi temple archives podcast content and uh it's just good to to get out and be back in the in the archives here. yeah absolutely why don't you tell everyone how they can find you and the hyperion adventures podcast Thank you very much. Uh, the, we are the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I do this with my wife, Michelle, and we mostly focus on Disney, but we do branch out Star Wars, Marvel. We talk about the parks. We talk about the films. Uh, we are pretty widespread. And, and obviously, obviously, often we have Rob on and Pat and Charles from the Conversations podcast, and we have a lot of fun talking Star Wars. And if you ever want to check us out, the best place to find us, we're all over any podcatcher you're looking for, but the best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And we also have a YouTube channel where we mostly put up uh, some of our episodes in video form. As a matter of fact, I'm taking a break from editing this most recent episode right now to record with Rob today. Uh, you can find us if you want to uh, check out our video versions of our podcast on YouTube. Just do a search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We'll come right up, hit subscribe, and you'll know whenever we have a new video. So, Rob, thanks again for uh, letting me back in the Giant Temple Archives. Hey, anytime. And uh, we, we owe a big debt of gratitude to you and Michelle. Not only did you guys kind of uh, open the door for me to get started on Jedi Temple Archives podcast, but... Uh, the fact that you and Michelle have so much fun on the Hyperion Adventures podcast was kind of what motivated my wife, Kim, to to get interested in doing a show. We actually just started our own uh, Disney-themed podcast, uh, Disney and really theme park-themed uh, podcast called the Hoopty Duo Disney Review Show, where we review uh, various parks, resorts, attractions, festivals, uh, anything of the like from both Disney and other uh, destinations that we go to. So uh, our most recent episode was actually on Universal Orlando from our June 2020 trip 
where Walt Disney World was not open. So if you are into that, you can definitely check that out on our social media at Hoopty Duo. Uh, that'd be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And we actually have a special board on Pinterest under our JTA podcast board for the Hoopty Duo. So uh, if you also would like to give some input into ideas for future JTA podcast episodes, uh, we would love to hear any characters or locations that you might be interested in. Reach out to us certainly on our email at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And on social media, you can also find us at JTA Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. So uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this show. Hopefully you guys are all staying safe and sane during this whole COVID pandemic. Thank you so much, and may the force be with you.